we've started seeing more and more institutions taking a closer look of what this asset does at its fundamental levels. We've got uh, people like Paul Tudor Jones endorsing Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, allocating uh, a portion uh, of, the, of his portfolio by gaining uh, exposure to Bitcoin to it. So that's helped to put a spotlight uh, on the sector. But this sector has been turbocharging in the background for the last two, three years. Before 2017, institutional scene did not exist. So obviously when we saw this news in the end of 2017 saying institutions are going to jump onto it right now, we, we did not think that. I was part of the institution on the buy side at that time in traditional space and having had a look at what infrastructure looked like in the end of 2017 in, in this space, absolutely had no expectations of any institutional uh, flow coming into this for at least 12 to 18 months because there are known problems to the general public uh, and there are unknown problems to the general public when it comes to financial services. It's pretty hard because you have to understand both worlds really well. You have to understand what the buy side, what the sell side, what do these people want from each other, what kind of level of services they need to provide. Plus on top of that, you know, you sprinkle regulatory aspects. And here comes blockchain. And the only known problem to the entire market space is, is private keys, you know. So which, which is li- really like the only new factor they, that came into this is what do you do with private keys? And I guess uh, if it will help for the audience, I can explain like what that, problem at least was new because you know that's that's not native to the finance or technology it came with, with blockchain so private keys is basically the single most important kind of vulnerability or the element that differentiates the digital assets in the form of you know blockchain digital assets versus any other storage form the way it works you have private key and you have public key and if you think of a house that has an address Anybody can put through your letterbox any amount of money or any assets uh, or any share, for example, uh, on, a, on a piece of paper. So like, a, you know, bearer bonds or whatever. But the only person who can basically claim that is the person that's got the key. That's your private key. So your public address is basically the address that's known to everybody. And the private key is basically what can open this door and claim those assets. Now, the difference is there is no central register where you can say, well, no, 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 I just lost my key. Can you give my house back to me? If you lose the key, you lose the house, basically. So that's what's created problems uh, initially with, with, with custodianship, essentially, in, in a way how, how you provide custody generally. Because you know, custodians play its part in traditional space. You know, where, you know, and, and, and they went through a period where you know, the paper became digital. And we were thinking that soon enough, you know, there'll be a period where this digital is going to become digital, but based on blockchain. But it never had that problem before. So in 2018, people jumped on it and started solving that problem. And in 2019, we started solving other problems, such as segregating the manager from the custodian and ensuring that that manager is not in self-custody, cannot misappropriate the funds, cannot run away, because frankly, investors are just not going to give the money to the manager uh, if it is the case. In 2020, the final piece of infrastructure uh, that's been developing and on the agenda and finally been solved only in the last few months was the credit risk exposure. Because we have uh, in, a, uh, in a traditional space a solution for self-custody and a solution for credit risk, but that didn't exist in, in digital asset space until you know, Q2. 
Those are, I would say, you know, the elements which are quite important. So the three elements of it, you know, is how do you store the private keys? What happens to your private keys? What kind of solutions available to do that in order to make sure that they are not lost or misappropriated? How do you make sure that you segregate responsibilities between custodian, administrator, and the fund manager, and et cetera, et cetera? And what do you do with credit risk? So those are the three kind of pillars, which un until they're solved, you wouldn't see probably anything happening in, in any kind of sizable form. Right now, the sector is in the shape, to quote you, you know, to turbocharge and to actually, because it's, it's, it's on par with what the requirements are from the traditional space. Have we got to the point where institutional investors will start to move into crypto assets in a significant way? Well, to a certain extent, you know, we started seeing that already. And as all good businesses, you know, develop, they develop in line with the client demand. So client demand is there. When you are seeing, if you're, if, you, if you're a family office, if you're a fund manager, you're seeing one of the greatest investors of all time saying, look, I'm not sure how this QE experiment is going to end. So, I'm, you know, in, against the inflation, uh, I'm just going to hedge it out with Bitcoin. I'm going to put one to two percent of my net worth into it in the form of exposure or however you want to put it. But still, you're inevitably going to call your, your, your private banker or, or, you know, your prime broker and say, hey, how can I, how can I get exposure there? So that's, that, that's already happening. We, we're seeing guys like you know, JP Morgan, for example, started servicing uh, crypto businesses and, and looking into this. And we've got clients who have been serviced by all sorts of private banks and it's a recurring, a recurring theme uh, from them. Is it not the case, and this is a, the, something that always seems to come up when people start talking about crypto assets, it's a little bit of a, a wild west out there still, isn't it? To be honest, no. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it was definitely crazy in 2018. Absolutely crazy. And, you know, we're coming from the traditional space. Uh, you look at what's going on and you're like, wow, you know, did I switch my career, uh, you know, for this? But when Bitcoin traveled to three and a half thousand, it dropped out all passengers, which are, you know, negative to, to the journey from the train, you know. And it's quite natural, to be honest. If you look, you, you've been covering fintech for, for quite a while. So, if you look at 20, 2015, people have been talking about big data. Next year, they've been talking about VR. Next year, they've been talking about blockchain. Last year, they've been talking about AI. This year, they're talking about quantum. The first two years is a mess. You know, you essentially, like, investors don't know what to invest in. A bunch of startups raising money and, you know, 87% of them disappear within 18 to 24 months because, you know, you need to reach to a Series A stage. And then for the next 18 to 24 months, another 10% are going to disappear. So that's just statistics. And any new technology, you always have, you know, 100 people that start and they create the Wild West that you're referring to. But, you know, as those people drop out and proper players remain there, there is just too many brains in this sector right now. It will continue to grow, will continue to develop uh, way past the, 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 the crypto uh, as digital assets. I believe that it's also getting very close to see actually traditional financial assets to, to start appearing in blockchain as well. Some people are going to sit there and say, what is a crypto asset for? Is it a currency? Is it a commodity? What do I do with it? Is there an end use for it? Mm -hmm. uh, because if you look at traditional assets, you can see quite clearly what it is you're investing in. There are arguments, for example, say, so let's just define the term digital asset, right? Like digital assets, the way we talk about it is, the, is, is not just the asset that digitally registered on a ledger, it's the asset that's registered on blockchain 
and uh, which is a decentralized, most secure database in the world, which could be modified by uh, any player that's participating there in order to, to in, but also ensuring that, you know, uh, that there is no fraudulent entries, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's the value of blockchain in this. So when there was obviously Bitcoin, for example, as one example of a crypto based asset, and the, the argument that people are making, well, there is no fundamental value in this, but they're looking at this from from like equity standpoint, for example, you look at it as a, if it's an equity, you know, you've got, you know, you've got your top line, you get if it die, you get multiples, you get PE ratios and all of those things. That's absolutely incorrect to look at it. You, you need to look at it in a, in a context of monetary politics, you know, which, you know, I'm not an economist and I'm sure like there's a, there, there'll be plenty of people who can argue that essentially printing uh, the amount of money that we started printing right now is probably the worst experiment that we've ever done. And nobody really has a, a plan which goes beyond a few years. And we're just prolonging the music with less shares available for everybody to sit on. So people clearly can see, you know, the value of their money disappearing. People clearly see, you know, that's, you know, $100,000, you know, 20 years ago could buy you a nice house and a car and leasing and, you know, support the family of three people. But, you know, it's all of that, that's, those are, you know, economist topics. We obviously have our own opinions, but fundamentally what we provide are infrastructure. So we provide infrastructure for any asset that basically could be used for any asset to, to be stored on, on a distributed ledger. And the value of that is immense. And this is not coming from, because there are so many arguments before, you know, for the last years, and I guess people got tired of the whole narrative that blockchain is going to save the world. It just needs to be applied, essentially. And that takes time. So it doesn't take, you know, one month and all of a sudden you get $100 trillion based on the distributed ledger technology. It, 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 it just takes time. But let's look on the flip side. You know, you're covering financial technology, core banking system, etc. Most of those things have been written in the 70s. A core banking system on one of the largest banks, for instance, right now still running on a syntax called COBOL. Uh, COBOL is a military language that's been developed, uh, by, sorry, been developed by U.S. military. And actually it's borderline highest paid contractors job right now because people who know COBOL are mostly dead. So right now, young guys coming out say, well, I can be a Java contractor for a grand a day or for two and a half grand. I can be patching stuff that's built in the 70s and it's just running on, on rails which shouldn't be in existence. It's embarrassing that we're still settling things in T plus three, T plus two. There are still faxes flowing around. There are hundreds of thousands of people moving a piece of paper from left to right you're telling me this is the most optimal system. It's embarrassing. We're talking about fintech for the last five years, and the best thing we got out of fintech is you know, a card that doesn't rip you off for effects. That's a pinnacle of technology right now in fintech. So you know, before those people saying, hey, well, this Bitcoin and blockchain, et cetera, like, you know, just wait, it's coming. But it, it will be a long journey, but we'll get there. Well, what does that landscape look like then? If you say it's going to be a long journey, let's, let's fast forward five years and then maybe even 10 years. What does the landscape look like then? So let's, let's define the problem, right? Because for any solution to be viable, there needs to be a problem, there needs to be a client that will pay for the solution to such problem, right? Currently, you make a trade between two people that needs to settle over a protocol, mainly, you know, Swift, for example. And I think MT500 message needs to be created from both sides. Uh, you're lucky if you got FTP upload, but sometimes this is like super manual. Those, those basically two messages need to be uploaded from two different places and then they need to match up in order for this to be settled. I've seen life in my previous life, the integration of such systems, which take about you know, two years, super expensive, super inefficient. Now, if somebody misses a comma in that message, everything just collapses. And the person 
and one wealth manager, another wealth manager, sub-custodian, another sub-custodian now go into manual mode. Bear in mind, all these people are getting paid very, very well because why would the else would you do this job? It, it's just not fun at all. And you just manually try to retract those messages, figure out what needs to be done and settle. But why does this problem exist? There are smart people out there. Like, why does it exist? Because four databases need to be updated to reflect the correct entries, to, correct that, to, to reflect that this person has $1 million and this person has $1 million worth of the shares that the trade's been done for. Blockchain doesn't have those problems by design. You can always see where the transaction is. You can always see what's happening. There is always a golden source of truth. That's where the value of this technology lies. Solving that and ensuring, it's a chicken and egg problem, of course, but ensuring that that technology is utilized. You, you can see how the value could be unwrapped. But unfortunately, imagine you've got this beautiful technology, yeah? And then you've got a core banking system written in the 70s. People in traditional finance were still excited about the cloud. There is still a lot of excitement about the cloud, which is shocking, you know, because look, what do you mean? Yes, of course, yes. There is a cloud, yeah, people use it. AWS, you know, Google, like whatever, whatever you want to use. But, you know, that's how far, you know, people still are there. So, you know, bringing a Ferrari wheel on the cart with cow is not really viable. That's where the problem lies. So you've got two, two ways out of it. Either there will be a rest of the Ferrari formed in the foreseeable future, by large institutions, small institutions, well, traditional finance institutions, or the Ferrari is going to be built out of the wheel. So those are the two options. There is no, how long it's going to take? I don't know. But, you know, we've seen two, three years uh, of that now happening, like where blockchain, institutional blockchain kind of started coming out. We have probably one financial institution that built a viable product, one. The rest has got nothing to show for. Granted, market is small, market is very small, so, you know, people might say, well, look, we really don't want to be bothering with the market, uh, which is, you know, $250 billion, which is less than total market cap of Polish stock exchange. But at the same time, if you miss, it's just too big of a mistake to make, to miss that trade, because it threatens fundamental model you're operating. If you can't record the ledgers and if, if, you know, on blockchain and somebody can, you're done. That's it. Like... But when does somebody going to come, come in and do that? Like, that's the question. Well, where does your company come into this? We basically provide infrastructure, sell-side infrastructure to, to the buy-side players. Hedge funds, <coughs> asset managers, family offices, prop desks, market makers, in crypto space. Exactly the same infrastructure can be used to basically service uh, people in traditional space. But that's a much harder market to penetrate. Currently, we're making sure that, uh, well, everything we do is driven by the client demand. The way we store private keys, the way we get rid of self-custody, the way we ensure that you don't have a credit risk exposure to the places where you don't want to have a credit risk exposure to. So those, those problems we do solve here. What the future looks like, we definitely want to go uh, into the direction of traditional finance. If we can do it with traditional players, great. If we have to do it without them, great. Everything's on the table.